The gospel lesson this morning is found in Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring him to me. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So we have spent the past several weeks on the theme, Is It Time? We examine the timing of how God reveals God's self to us and our response to those revelations. Last week, Jesus addressed his disciples on the plain, and we asked ourselves, is it time to turn the other cheek? We explored Jesus' call to actively resist the urge to retaliate against those who have harmed us, to press forward instead in love. Well, in light of the voting at the special session of the General Conference of the United Methodist Church, many United Methodists find themselves this morning 
coming out as winners in the top dog position. And many United Methodists find themselves not the winners in the underdog. Regardless of which position we find ourselves in, we must all acknowledge that a large portion of Christ's body within the United Methodist Church is hurting today. How appropriate that our question today is, is it time to change? In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul responds to favoritism shown at table fellowship. He urges unity and equal access to the table in the body of Christ. And if we are indeed all one body, then regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, we can all lament the pain that our body is experiencing. Because when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers with it. And we may not even know yet the depths of the pain the communities in which we serve are experiencing. As Bishop Palmer mentioned in his simulcast yesterday, there are already community organizations who have worked with the United Methodist Church in the past who have decided to no longer work with us because of our affirmation of exclusionary practices. Now the Judicial Council will still need to rule on some of the decisions that were made Tuesday, and that'll happen in April. But in the meantime, all of us can lament that the United Methodist Body of Christ is broken and hurting, and that individuals we love, honor, and cherish are hurting. In this season of pain and uncertainty, it would be easy for us to become paralyzed in our mission. To stand exactly where we are right now, frozen in time, afraid to move from this spot of pain. But the God who made us and claims us as his own is calling us out beyond today. We are a resurrection people, and there is life beyond this wilderness. We must continue to move forward together. We must continue to love as we have been called to love. Arms open wide without counting the cost, without asking for credentials, without prejudgment, and without hypocrisy. And so this morning, though we may stand in a place of pain, it is with hope that we enter into our gospel lesson. You see on the screen, poof. Awesome. I'm magic. <clears throat> you see on the screen the famous depiction of the transfiguration rendered by Raffaello Sanzio Urbino otherwise known as Raphael, and not one of the Ninja Turtles. 
The beauty of this painting is that it includes the entire transfiguration narrative as it's found in Mark and Luke. The painting, like today's gospel lesson, is divided into two parts. Visually, in the painting, there's the upper part and the lower part. And we're going to start today with the upper part, but first I want to give you a little bit of background. The transfiguration narrative of Luke took place just as Jesus had fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And when the disciples questioned Jesus about who he actually was, Jesus, like a good rabbi, asked them who the crowd said he was. Well, the crowds thought that Jesus must be John the Baptist or Elijah or maybe one of the other ancient prophets. But Peter confessed that Jesus was Messiah. Now, after Peter's confession, Jesus urged them not to tell anyone else. And then he went on to predict his death and resurrection. And he told the disciples that in order to follow him, they would have to deny themselves and take up their own cross daily to do so. And then eight days later, Jesus took Peter and John and James up the mountain. He took them up the mountain with him so that they could pray. And that's where we find ourselves in the upper portion of this painting today. While Jesus prayed with his disciples, his clothes became dazzling white and his appearance changed. And then Elijah and Moses appeared with Jesus and began to speak with him about his departure. Peter, John, and James were sleepy, but they saw Jesus in his glory and Moses and Elijah in their glory with him. And Peter wanted to freeze and memorialize the moment. Moses, the giver of the law, and Elijah, one of the greatest of the prophets, and their very own rabbi are before them in God's glory. But God doesn't want a memorial. He intervenes, and like he met Moses in the cloud on Mount Sinai when he gave him the law, and after Elijah had defeated the prophets of Baal, he came in a cloud. God overshadowed the disciples with a cloud as well. And it's significant what God says from the cloud. He says, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Does this sound at all familiar to you? Okay, you all have Bibles either under the seats or under the, in, behind the pew in front of you. And many of you even have a Bible on your phone. <gasps> and I am going to give you permission during service to get out your phone and go to Luke chapter 3, verses 20 to 22. Yeah, we're going to do Bible this morning. Luke chapter 3, verses 20 to 22. Actually, it's 
21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice, there's that voice again. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The connection from our baptism to now. A voice came from heaven. At his baptism, God speaks to Jesus. You are my son. But atop the Mount of Transfiguration, God reaffirms Jesus' identity to his disciples. And then he commands them, listen to him. Now I have a question for you. Little, we're going to follow squirrel a minute. How many of you have ever been to a family reunion? I did not ask you if you liked it. I just asked you if you've been. <clears throat> family reunions are, well, they are both a joy and they can also be not. <clears throat> but what do we do at family reunions? Why, why do we have family reunion. I always wondered that as a kid. Why do I have to go to this thing? Well, we have family reunions to help us connect with family members who maybe live far away or people that we don't see on a regular basis or maybe our schedules don't normally meet up. And we gather together and we share stories about our past and our present and maybe our future dreams. Family reunions Help us to remain connected to who we are through the gift of presence with one another. We share a meal together. Oftentimes, we play together. And most of all, we share our life stories with one another. In gathering together at these family reunions, we can celebrate more thoroughly who we are as we better understand the stories that formed us. This is how I learned how to make apple stack cake. And I learned the difference between chicken and dumplings and real chicken and dumplings. <laughs> Family reunions are where I heard my grandfather tell stories on my dad and uncle. I always wondered why my uncle had a scar here. And I found out that he was one day making fun of my dad and my dad told him to shut it or he'd shoot him between the eyes with his BV gun. And I thank God that he was a good shot and I also heard the story of how my grandmother ruined a broom on my dad that day. <laughs> Family reunions are where we learn about our family and how it became what it is today. Imagine Peter, John, and James. They traveled up this mountain with Jesus to pray, but they ended up at the most unusual of all family reunions. 
you see Jesus transfigured, made dazzling white by the glory of God. And then you see Moses and Elijah there with him. And strangely, they're not talking about the past. They are talking about the future, about Jesus' death. Now imagine yourself at this family reunion with the law and the prophets personified and your rabbi, your teacher, this would have been the highlight of your faith journey. No wonder Peter suggested they build a memorial. It was surreal. But then God spoke to them out of a cloud as he had done with Moses on Mount Sinai. And Moses and Elijah, poof, disappeared. And only Jesus remained. The disciples must have wondered what it all meant. Maybe they started to connect the dots, but things were probably still fuzzy. And then Jesus called the disciples back down the mountain. Remember, he had told them that they would daily need to take up their crosses if they wanted to follow him. And so back down the mountain, Peter, James, and John followed back to the ordinary, back to the everyday stuff of life. Ordinary. I was generally a very good student with the exception of the subject of math. And in math, I was ordinary. I remember that I had a really difficult time in elementary school understanding fractions and percentage percentages and after nights in the kitchen table with my dad I often ended up in tears but dad was not one to give up that's where I get that dad was determined to teach me so he brought his instruction to a practical level for fractions we ordered pizza we made cookies we ate pie and I loved fractions I still do. For percentages, this is a note to all you dads out there, we went shopping. I learned about percentages as I calculated sale prices on items I wanted to purchase. And once I understood the concepts, I, I began to see fractions and percentages everywhere. It was amazing. I was awakened to a whole new understanding of my world. Like, have you ever experienced this kind of an awakening? A time when you didn't understand, but then something finally clicked, and you got it, and it was like the whole world was fresh and new, no smudgy glass like before. It must have been that way spiritually for Peter, John, and James. They went up that mountain being able to say and, and give assent with their heads that Jesus was Messiah because his teaching made sense. He was connecting to the prophets in his teaching intellectually and socially. But after being present at his transfiguration, after actually seeing Jesus in glory, with Moses and Elijah, 
the disciples might have been in the process of wiping their spiritual lenses clean as they descended the mountain. So I want to turn your attention to the bottom portion of the painting. I'll tell you that the little boy is the one in white on the right-hand side. What's going on here is that the crowd is waiting for Jesus as Peter, James, and John come down the mountain. A man, the father of the little boy, shouts out and asks Jesus to heal his little boy who has been possessed by an evil spirit. And the disciples have tried to heal the boy, but the demon won't budge. Jesus calls them a faithless and perverse generation, and he says, bring him to me. And everyone listens. Even as the boy is coming to Jesus, the evil spirit throws the boy to the ground in a convulsion. Jesus isn't afraid. He doesn't back down. He rebukes the demon and heals the boy and gives him back to his father. Jesus is able to heal the boy, and he does. And all were amazed at the greatness of God. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were focused on what was commanded in the law and the prophets. They were so focused on the past that they could not see Christ in front of them. And neither could the disciples, really. They were Jews. They were raised in, in the nuances, in the essence of the law and the prophets. And they were so aware of the importance of the law and the prophets that when they saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus, they wanted to build a memorial of the moment where God met with their teacher, that intersection of present and past. But they didn't want to build the memorial because Jesus was Messiah. The glory of God is fully present in Christ. God says, he is my son my chosen. When God was finished talking from the cloud, Moses and Elijah were gone. Only Jesus remained. The disciples were st so starry-eyed by their family history standing before them that they didn't realize that in God's Son, His chosen, the fullness of God's glory was dwelling. And God's love, the power to heal and to restore, we come directly from Jesus. The disciples experienced this at the bottom of the mountain as they went back to the ordinary, but they still didn't get it. And sometimes we don't either. We get so hung up on the law and the prophets and on our faith traditions that we forget that the fullness of God's glory dwells in his son, Jesus Christ. And just as Christ died and God raised him to life, in our baptism, we die to sin and are raised to new life in Christ. In Christ, we are made new.
all of us. When we call on his name, Christ answers. It is in him that we are made new. So it is in this gospel truth that I challenge you to anchor your hope this morning and the difficult mornings that lie ahead. Not a single one of us deserves the grace that God has given us. Not a single one of us, by what we have said or done, has had a single sin forgiven. It is not only by the grace of it is only by the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ that we are redeemed. And I thank God that Jesus loved us so deeply. Today the body is hurting. And as members of the body, we hurt for our brothers and sisters who feel devalued. But through the pain, we must continue to speak hope and live hope. We must come down the mountain where we have seen the glory of God and step back into the ordinariness of life. Not just to tell others what we have seen but to live like the experience has changed us. We must live and love in such a way that we too reflect the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And it is through him that we are redeemed. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to your presence in us and with us every day. Help us to love like your son, arms open wide, without counting the cost. Amen. <laughs>